Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where, you know, thankfully we haven't really got an exciting game to talk about after the weekend at all, really. You know, nothing much really happened in the world of Everton. You know, of, of course, we've got that, that amazing comeback to be talking about uh, this this week uh, Everton's 3-3 draw at Old Trafford uh, will be on the agenda and we'll also be looking ahead to Everton's big FA Cup tie later this week against Spurs at Goodison Park. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by a crack team. Uh, <laughs> great panellists today of uh, Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Chris Beasley. But Dave, we'll start with you and we'll start at Old Trafford on Saturday night, on a freezing cold Saturday night, might I add. Like my my hands were absolutely ridiculously freezing by the time we were trying to <laughs> write about that uh, that equalising goal. But before we get to that, you know, a half time, Everton are two 0 down. What are you thinking to yourself at that point? Um, I was thinking that this is going exactly the same way as the two previous games went this season against Manchester United where they looked like a team with far more quality than us. And uh, one of those teams, you always find a team that you always do particularly well against, you know, so in a spell of seasons and one team that you always struggle against. And sometimes it's not really a club that you expect. Um, I don't know how it works out that way. I mean, it's just strange. I mean, Leicester seems to be the club that, you know, so we're doing okay against at the moment, uh, unexpectedly maybe. But United, they're just like, you know, so had our number, you know, so every time they played us, until the second half on Saturday. I mean, by, by half time, I just thought, wow, you know, this is go, this is grim. You're decrying the fact that Dominic Calvert Lewin missed a wonderful opportunity to get us undeservedly back into the game. And you're thinking, oh God, he's missed that. So, you know, does that mean the writing's on the wall? So, yeah, half time, I can honestly say I didn't see what was coming <laughs> after half time. And you talk about your fingers dropping off at the end of the game. I bet you'd had a warm glow in your heart by the time it finished. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I needed to send me back to Liverpool, to be honest. But, you know, be sticking with the theme of that first half. You know, me and Phil were at Old Trafford and we were discussing a half time. This was unfortunately, it seemed like at the time it was going to be a typical, you know, Everton performance away to one of those big six sides, you know, showing them a little bit too much respect. Because to be honest, Everton had started the game quite well. You know, first 10, 15 yeah. minutes, they were playing some quite nice football, but just allowed United to take to take control from that point, didn't they? Yeah, it's very predictable. Like you say, um, they'd started very well and they, they um, responded badly to the goal. First 20 minutes, they were knocking it around well, but they weren't possibly being as um, as adventurous as they, as they could have been. Yeah, perhaps showing United a bit too much um, respect. I mean, you know, it, 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 United seemed to sort of take control after after that goal. And, it, and in many ways, it sort of merited the... Um, the Leeds United game, whereas you know Everton had gone in two 0 up at half time, and then really had to weather the storm 
after the second half when Leeds pulled Bourne back early. But yeah, they, they, it was looking, unfortunately, rather predictable and they, they'd had a bit of a go, gone, gone behind and then sort of... Uh, I mean, with the Bruno Fernandes um, strike as well, I mean... It, it was a strange, wasn't it? You'd have to say it was probably a, a piece of genius from him, to be, to be fair. But, I mean, yeah, they were, it, was, it was a tough one to take. And, yeah, and it was looking pretty grim at the break. Mm. Gav, what do you think Carlo Ancelotti said to those players at half-time? Because it was like chalk and cheese, really, the, the two halves, wasn't it? Yeah, that sounds like not much. Just up your game. Um, I think my feelings were at half-time is that, you know, talk about cliches, you know, the next goal is... <laughs> and uh, thankfully we got it early on. You know, if they'd gone five, ten, fifteen minutes and two 0 it would have been a different story. But we got back into the game, showed a little bit more desire, I think, because uh, we had to. Got got to two all, and then, then I was a bit frustrated to be honest with you, lad. That I haven't got back to two all. We then sort of retreated into our shell and invited United back onto us. This is similar to the Leicester game at home. We had two back. And uh, we didn't show anything really until we had to after they, they scored. So if they got beat on Saturday, my 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 opinion of the game would have been disappointing, a disappointing performance. So we got out of jail. But yeah, Carlo, by the sounds of it, he did nothing revolutionary. He just told them to put the game a little bit, um, which he did. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a strange game, wasn't it? We started both halves well. And then for the rest of... Best of each half. I thought we were moderate as at best as B uh, said. Um, yeah, so we got. I think we got off the jail there, didn't we? That was definitely in the uh, the one point gains rather than the two points lost uh, column, wasn't it? Mm. I think Gav picks up on a good point there, Preno. I think it was a Dominic Calvert Lewin was saying after the game that there was, you know, a slight tinge of frustration from Everton that they haven't hadn't put in, you know, a very good performance really, despite you know getting a getting appointed Old Trafford and that kind of shows the progression that Everton have had under Carlo Ancelotti, isn't it? To be frustrated after yeah, that game. It, it's, it's a mindset, isn't it? I mean, uh, we've spoken before about the... Um, I don't like to decry David Moyes because I was a big fan of his uh, and what he did at Everton in a long period of time. But that, you know, knife to a gunfight mentality uh, always seemed to follow him around. And uh, it's almost like it was the little plucky Everton, you know, so whenever we went to a, a club and got a result, which wasn't very often, admittedly, um, and Ancelotti seems to have come in and instead has imbued almost like an old-fashioned Everton mentality, like, you know, uh, going back, you know, sort of to the 80s, if you like. You know, so hang on, Everton are one of the big clubs of English football and we should be going to places like Old Trafford, uh, not expecting to get a result, but certainly expecting to you know, put in good performances and uh, maybe come away with something and not be surprised, you know, so when, when things happen. So it's good to see that, you know, I think that comes from the manager, it comes from the very top. Um, and, you know, he said that ever since, you know, he started at Everton, you know, he wants to see ambition, you know, so he wants to see Everton thinking big. And that was sort of replicated in what Dominic Calvert-Lewin said. It was a poor performance, ultimately. And, yeah, looking at it, you know, with hindsight and when you finally calm down after, you know, sort of celebrating that incredible, you know, sort of time added on equaliser, you think, wow, yeah, we were probably got a bit lucky there to get away with a point. And the players immediately, realistically, seem to accept that and seem to think that, OK, we showed great character and uh, we showed great, you know, qualities to get back into the game. 
but we need to perform better, you know, throughout the 95 minutes, you know, if we're going to get results in future. And it's the kind of mindset that they need to take in, you know, certainly on Wednesday night and certainly next Sunday against Fulham, certainly next midweek against Manchester City, because they're coming thick and fast now. And you need to have, you know, sort of that really strong mentality all the way through. So, yeah, it was heartening to hear that. It wasn't, you know, celebrating great. We've got a point, you know, let, let, let's party time. It's, let's park that. We've not done particularly well. Let's, you know, see what we can learn from it and use that in our next, you know, next fixture. So, yeah, it was, it was a good lesson. Mm. Bees Carlo was quite vocal in his uh, displeasure after the Newcastle game very recently, wasn't he? He called his yeah. players out for being too lazy and lacking spirit. How much do you think that will have been playing on their minds, especially in that second half? Yeah, I hope it was because I mean, as, as a footballer, I mean, you can criticize, be criticized for not being good enough, and you know, you, can, you can't do anything about that. But if somebody actually criticizes your your attitude and your application, then that's that's got to hurt you as, as a professional or even even as an amateur, whatever level you're playing the game at. So, yeah, I hope it. They, they, they do seem to have a bit more backbone now than they have had in under previous regimes. Obviously, that was always a a big criticism of Marco Silva never came from behind to actually win a Premier League game under him. They've done it several times now on on the Carlo, and then at this last juncture now, obviously coming from two 0 down and then three two down to to rescue a point at Old Trafford. I think there's there's a certain uh, element to it. I think we saw with with the rugby as well at the weekend with Scotland winning at Twickenham for the first time in a number of years. It does. I mean, Ancelotti said himself, it does sort of neutralise that um, home advantage that we have under normal circumstances. So maybe it's not as as great as possibly other results at Old Trafford in the past. But yeah, they, they, the way they, they came back from those um, th- those losing positions does suggest that, you know, that it, it did sting them, though, those those remarks from the manager, and hopefully it had the, the right effect. Mm. I can jump in there and tell you that footballers, uh, from personal experience, hate having their character and their attitude questioned, because I've done it a few times in the past, uh, <laughs> notably at the tail end of the 2003-04 season when uh, an infamous comment piece I wrote accused the players of taking the, uh, let's politely say, the mickey out of the supporters. <laughs> uh, it was a stronger phrase that was used in a headline in the paper, and God, it was still getting talked about You know, so 12, 18 months later. In fact, I heard it in a podcast last week. Lee Carsley <laughs> asked about it again. <laughs> And uh, he, he came out with a because cars was certainly something you could never accuse of lacking attitude or commitments. And I suppose the mistake I made was lumping all the players into one rather than possibly singling out the ones who I thought were showing you know poor quality and poor character. Uh, but Carsley was talking about that, and he actually came out with this nice uh, quote where he said he was sat on the team bus on the way home after that game. He'd lost 5-1 last match of the season at Man City, and uh, Jimmy Martin, the kit man, came and sat next to him and said, "Hello, mate." He goes, how do you feel being part of the worst Everton team I have ever seen? <laughs> and Carl said his immediate reaction was, I won't use the language that he used, but, you know, so who do you think you are? He's only the bloody bus driver or the kit man. And he's, you know, coming out and talking to us like that. But he was absolutely right. And he was right to question, you know, the attitude. And so it, players remember things like that, even 15 and 20 years on, because they are professional footballers. And, you know, the, the clue is in the title, you know, so they are professional. They don't like to see their attitude and their commitments questions. And so it has been by the man at the very top, by the man who's picking them. And so it will have hurt. It will have stung them. And, um, you know, it got the desired reaction. And I'm hoping it's an enduring reaction. It's not something that he has to feel like he has to do again. Because if he does, the players aren't right for the squad he's trying to build and he'll, be, he'll look to replace them. Mm. 
Well, Gav, on an individual level, I think that one of the players who summed up that change of attitude in the second half in particular was Tom Davis. And I think that was probably his best performance of the season uh, this weekend. I just what did he what did you make of his display? Uh at that extent but beyond the this season, not to be honest with you, I'd probably say he better played better for Evan, considering the the opposition, the circumstances of the game and where it was played. I thought he was excellent. He reminded me a little bit of not the four all game. Um the the famous one from two thousand twelve. Phil Neville said that was the best game he ever played in his career. Mm. You know, for Everton because he kept us he kept us in the game, you know. And yeah. and you know, and he really wound everybody up. Um and I thought, you know, there's elements of that with Tom on on Saturday I felt. I thought that you know, you were talking about characters being questioned and stuff. He showed plenty of that on, on Saturday. Uh show for the ball. I was I was getting the impression he's a little bit chaotic on the pitch. You could just just sort of you know, you wanna you wanna calm level-headed presence in front of the back four on occasions. And it's an age thing, isn't it? You can be a little bit little bit rushed. And yeah, let's face it, his ball changed the match, didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To Cavalier. Well, it wasn't just his ball. He, was, he played a one-two, hadn't he, with Dina? Yeah. So he'd actually started it in front of our back four. So, mm-hmm. yeah, excellent from Tom, who last four or five games, no, he's not played every game, but you can see a little bit of a step change in his, his performances. Um mm-hmm. Still nowhere near where you'd want him to be in terms of a first choice midfielder, but he's come and done a job and good luck to him. He, he was he was I thought he was excellent on on, on Saturday. And it's strangely we said that the players said the the performance was moderate, but there was three or four good individual performances. Andre Gomez played well I thought for quite a bit of the bit you know, bit of the game. Yeah, yeah. Tom Thomas excellent, he summed up our our performance and it gives gives some confidence then, doesn't it? So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, over the next few games because obviously we'd expect an Alan to be there or thereabouts, aren't we? Uh, mm. Shortly, but yeah, Tom did excellently in that fair play. Time. And it's good to see him getting credits on social media as well because he's normally the first, isn't he? And that's always been the case, hasn't it? With local form players, they're always the first in the firing line when things go badly. Uh, but it was good to see him getting lots of praise on social media on Saturday. Saturday evening, mm. uh, well done to him. Mm. I think Gav quite rightly mentioned Bees is form mm. over the last few weeks, not just uh, in that game at Old Trafford. Do you think he's finally finding his place in this squad at the minute? I think the comments that he, he's come out and said since actually quite telling that you know he he's taking in what Carlo Ancelotti is, is telling him certain in, instructions, as Gav said there, for all his exuberance and. Um, exciting youthful talent he has perhaps lacked a bit of discipline at, at times and there's been moments where he could question his, his decision making whereas um of late he seems to be more disciplined in the the way he's he's been uh, approaching things and that's what you needed in a fixture like that or, you know away to um manchester united when they've got these um amazing individuals like bruno bruno fernandez who can cause you great great dangers he did anyway ultimately he scored but it was very disciplined and that's what that's what you you, you need more of from Tom to, to, to play in that role and uh, just um, keep a lid on things just do do this the, the simple things uh, effectively and um, stick stick to the game plan and I think that um, Carlo appreciates that you know he's not been afraid to pick him to put him in in certain situations like that and you know it's, it's just just a, a learning curve and hopefully that you know that's 
you've got somebody like Ross Barkley, who was probably far more naturally gifted than um, Tom, but he was able to take on instructions and he's not had the career you, you, you kind of, well, he really should have had that, you know, given his amazing natural talent. Whereas, like, if Tom can take on the instructions of somebody, you know, as experienced as Carlo Ancelotti is as a manager, he, you know, perhaps he can go ab- ab- above or certainly to, to match what his, 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 um, his, his talent actually would uh, bring, you'd expect from his talent in his career. Mm. Well, it's something we've discussed on the podcast before, isn't it, Preno? I think we forget how young Tom Davis still is, considering, you know, when he's, when he broke through onto the into the side just before that Man City game, you know he's he seems like he's been in and around the side for ages. Obviously, Captain Everton, of course, on a yeah. couple of occasions as well, hasn't he? But he's still such a young lad. But I think that performance showed a lot of maturity at the weekend, didn't it? It did. Yeah, he was absolutely top class. It endorsed everything that the guys have said. The the quality of his performance, because normally we we expect him to be. What one of these, you know, like scuffling, what's the, uh, the derogatory phrase, water carriers in the mm. team. But he has got much more quality than that. And he showed that with the weight on that pass, as well as the ability to de- deliver it uh, for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and as well as the ability, you know, sort of to win the ball and play that one-two in advance of it. It was just absolutely, it was, it was top class and a game changer. Uh, but looking at, I mean, what do they say, the proof of the pudding, you know, results, just looking at the games that Tom has played uh, over the last couple of months, and the, you can say it's coincidence, uh, but uh, the games that he's actually started um, probably since Christmas time, United away, 3-3. Leicester at home, that was you know the, the draw. Wolves away, 2-1. Rotherham in the FA Cup, a victory eventually. Sheffield United away, victory. Arsenal at home, 2-1. The only you know, blip was the other home game against West Ham when nobody really performed particularly well. And it was one of those games that could have gone either way. So it suggests that, you know, he's not just performing better, he's actually having an influence, you know, and he's actually being somebody that is helping us to get, you know, positive results. And the bottom line is, you know, the, the manager appears to trust him as well. He's picking him more and more. He's still not, you know, regular first choice, and he won't be when Alan's fit, you know, because, you know, so Alan is, you know, clearly in a class of his own. Um, but... He's getting more and more influential, you know, so as his Everton career progresses. And that's good. And that's good, you know, for long term. Because we've said here in the past, we're not quite sure, you know, so how much of a long term future we might have seen for him, you know, so at Everton, given the competition for places in that midfield area, which is really intense. But he's showing at the moment that, you know, he deserves his place in that squad on merit. And he's probably going to get, you know, more and more games uh, than we might have thought, especially given how, you know, playing a game every three or four days at the moment, aren't we? And so, yeah, he's going to be important and he's proving influential, which is great. Mm. I'll stick with you, Preno, as well, because I know you're a big fan of him. Andre Gomez has looked back to his best over the last couple of games, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he has. I mean, we, we feared here. We, we sat, you know, on, on these pods and thought, is, that it? is the injury done for him? You know, is, is he never going to be the same player again? Um, and they proved, you know, once again that, you know, maybe we we're a little bit premature in, uh, in what we were saying and what we were worrying about. Because, yeah, he's looked great. And again, influential. Uh, you know, the moments that he's impressing on games are proving, like, they're making a real difference. Uh, and when you go to a place like Old Trafford, you can't just have one or two players, you know, on the top of the game. You need nine or ten players producing a seven out of ten performance and then a couple of two, two or three of them producing eight out of tens and more, you know, so to get something. And Andre Gomez is starting to do that again more consistently now. Uh, which is great. It's almost, I don't want to tempt face and say, great, that's it. You know, he's finally over, you know, so all those issues. Because again, maybe we, 
maybe we didn't realise it and appreciate quite how traumatic that was and how quickly he came back as well. Because don't forget, it was a fairly miraculous return from what was an absolutely traumatic injury. Uh, so maybe he did come back a little bit too quickly, perhaps, and it's taken him a little bit of time you know, to find his rhythm and to find his, his consistency and his stamina, if you like. But he has now. And uh, yeah, we're, we're flourishing as a result. Mm. I think, Gav, what really impressed me about Gomez over the last couple of games is has been his fitness and his physicality because, you know, these have been two really intense away games against Leeds and Manchester United. But, you know, we're seeing the kind of old Andre Gomez where he'd pick the ball up in midfield, he'd be able to shrug off the challenge, turn, turn and, you know, run 30 yards with the ball or play, play you know, yeah. passes over the top to an on-rushing Dominic Calvert-Lewin. We haven't really seen this in a good long while from him, have we? No, no, I mean... So it's been my problem with Gomez since he joined the club is affecting the game at the other end of the pitch. You know, and, and over the last we spoke on Friday with him, you think maybe is he's been involved in he's made crucial contributions to three or four goals for us, hasn't he, over the last last month. Um and yeah, it's good. I think I, I thought Gomez, I thought Gomez good. I actually thought Takori plays well on on Saturday. Um I thought the three of them. Actually, had good games. Um, maybe we were down on, on Saturday. I think it was that on occasions at the back and obviously the keeper. Um, but the three had, 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 you know, good games, I would say. Uh, Tom, a bit better than that, very good. But the core, I mean, he played a key role now, both our goals, didn't he? Mm-hmm. As well. So it was good to see the three functioning uh, well as individuals. Yeah. Andre, you know, I've said a million times before on here, haven't I? Is, is he, he's, when he's got the ball, that, that's his strength, isn't it? His weakness is when he's not got the ball, but he's just a, he can just be a liability for me. Um, but yeah, it's good to see him popping up and looking confident and strong. Um, and, you know, he'd had a lot of games as substitutes, hadn't he, where he'd come on and done reasonably okay. But the last, last two or three games, he, you know, um, taking away from home, he's been, he's been excellent. Uh, and he worked, he worked hard on Saturday, I thought. And that's good to say. So there's a bit, a bit of a selection, maybe <laughs> selection issue for, for Carlo in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Maybe maybe we've got five players looking for three three places. Mm. Um, but yeah, good. Yeah, it's about well done to it, aren't they, again on uh, on Saturday. Mm. And Gab's read my mind there, uh, B's talking about mm. Abdullah Corey, goal mm. and an assist for him. And I think, you know, the goal in particular summed up what we really wanted to see from Decore, wasn't it? You know, he had the uh, desire to get up and support Calvert-Lewin and you know he was he was there in the right place at the right time to finish it off wasn't he? That's what he does isn't he um, box to box midfield that's what they've, they've lacked in in recent years and like you said yeah when uh, Calvert-Lewin put that ball um, across the area that you know there he was he you know made the lung busting run to get there and an easy tapping when the hair just knocked it back out for him but I think it's been telling we've been talking about the selection issues and there's you know hopefully going to be a few options in in every area, um, Carlo Ancelotti has been able to do that. He's been able to shuffle his pack a lot in in recent weeks with all those games coming thick and fast. And fortunately, I think there's a position there where you've got a few players going for um, each shirt, and it's not necessarily weakening the team. No matter which way he's done it, he's done it at the centre back positions. He's sort of moved them around. But whereas the one real mainstay who he does tend to pick, regardless, is Abdullah Decore. He's just you know apart from that game when he was suspended because he picked up the bookings. Um, He's been more or less um, ever present, I think, and um, even popping up and scoring the winner in the FA Cup in extra time when it when it was needed um, 
yeah, he's been, he's, he's been the real legs of the team um, all season. And, it, you know, when those signings were made last summer, obviously, um, Allen was seen as the, you know, the defensive shield that they needed, the, the somebody to protect the back four. And then Ames Rodriguez was the real glamorous sign in the sort of um, Galactico from Rio Madrid. I mean, you could um, sort of underplay the, um, the core as, you know, the, the third part of that trio. But in many ways, he's actually arguably been a little more influential than either of those two, certainly on a consistent week-to-week basis. You know, he he's brought that, that something extra. And you can see why. Everton and pursued him for so long, including obviously under the, the previous regime where his old manager Marco Silva wanted him. You know, he, he does offer something different in that midfield. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Breno, while of you know, with some very promising performances at the weekend, uh, we've come out of this game, and I think there's still questions over the goalkeeper position, isn't there? Because... <laughs> I was just waiting <laughs> for the goalkeeper to be introduced. That's coming soon, because yeah. you know, after after what was such a promising display against Leeds, you know, it was it was a bit more. Uh, it was a bit more nervy, shall we say, from Robin Olsen at Old Trafford, wasn't it? I, I don't know what to make of the goalkeeper situation because I changed, I changed my mind every I've been such a Pickford fan for so long and then I finally had enough and I finally said, no, the time is right for a lesser quality but more reliable, more reassuring presence in Robin Olsen. And then what did we get? You know, uh, a mistake. And it was a mistake. I, I mean, OK, he, he slipped. That, that can happen, but it shouldn't happen to a goalkeeper, really, should it? You know, you, that's, that's part of a goalkeeper's, you know, armoury, you know, so planting your feet at the right moments, you know, so you can actually take off at the right times. And am I being a bit harsh? No, I don't think so. Um, and you, you could argue that there were a couple of, you know, moments of distribution as well uh, in the Leeds game, you know, so which led to chances on his goal. So does that mean I want to see Jordan Pickford back in because he offers better quality? Uh, when it comes to shot stopping, but you've got to put up with the occasional clanger, maybe. <laughs> it, it, it's strange, isn't it? it? It just underlines that the entire goalkeeping situation is unsatisfactory. That, you know, so we're not even sure about either of them at the moment. And um, you know, it's a cup tie now on Wednesday. I mean, is Jordan Pickford fit? We don't know yet. Um, but if he is, I would be inclined to think that maybe yes. You know, Carlo will put him back in again. Uh, certainly, you know, he's got a, a great reputation when it comes to penalty kicks, and obviously that can be an issue at the end of FA Cup ties, uh, especially if it's hopefully as close a game as we expect it may be. Um, but then again, you know, you, you worry about the occasional clanger. But I, I just think, all in all, Jordan Pickford is a better quality goalkeeper if he can eradicate those silly mistakes, which he hasn't seemed able to do this season. Robin Olsen isn't quite capable of making those incredible saves that Pickford can sometimes make. But he looks more reassuring, or he did until <laughs> the weekend. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a simple answer. Carlo, you're getting an awful lot of money for making these decisions. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass it over to him because whoever's picked on Wednesday, I genuinely wouldn't mind. You know, so whichever he believes, whichever goalkeeper's mind is in the right place, I think uh, you know, we'll get the nod. Mm. 
I think Breno makes an interesting point about distribution, Gav, and I think that's maybe what's setting pick for the par from Olsen at the minute because Robin Olsen's kicking ability, you know, it came up against Leeds. Um, there was a few yeah. concerning moments against Manchester United as well. If there's, if there's one thing that Jordan Pickford is quite regularly good at, it is his distribution, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could say is he would have got short outs on there Saturday evening on Robin Olsen, just the worst performance by a goalkeeper for one of the Merseyside clubs over the weekend, wouldn't he, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, he's probably thankful yesterday he's probably taken a little bit of the, um, you know, the scrutiny off him. Yeah, I mean, uh, he might goal, have goalkeepers... Goal. Yeah, goalkeepers... <laughs> goalkeepers are... Um, Judge on a lot more now than just shot stopping, aren't they? Uh, you've got to you've got to look at the big passage. And I think that going back to Prano's point, if you if you highlighted goalkeeping down to three or four characteristics, one of them's better than the other, <laughs> and one of them then you, you know like so you know distribution Pickford, shot stopping probably Pickford, reassurance calmness Olsen, you know. Um, Maybe consistency, Olsen, maybe perhaps um, concentration, Olsen, you know, all that type of stuff. There's, there's not, you wouldn't say one's completely got all the, you know, holding the, the full deck compared to the other. So, though Jordan's got better distribution, does that keep him in the team? I'd also not so sure. Uh, you do get the impression that if Carlo had to put one, his money and his eggs into one basket to go with Jordan, wouldn't he? I think Jordan's because of his experience as much as anything else playing in Emily and playing with Everett. I think that's what would swing it. Um, but does raise some interesting questions over the summer transfer feelings, doesn't it, really? And I'm just wondering, we spoke on Friday about rotation. I'm just wondering one of the reasons why Carlo is unwilling to say such and such is my number one is for fear of damaging Pickford's transfer value. If you come out and says Olsen's my first, if Olsen's my first choice, what does that do to Pickford's transfer value? Mm. You, know, you know, and a reputation. Mm. You know, should he should he choose to say, well actually neither of these are my option I want here. Um and I just think there's a bit of that going on as well. By the way, you, that's the only position on the pitch where you can do that. Isn't it? Everywhere else, it's standard practice where you've got two players, where you can move players, you know, around the midfield or across from three or something. Goalkeepers know where else to go. And, and I'm just wondering that, you know, you know, I haven't had too many conspiracy theory books over the last uh, over lockdown, probably. Um, I'm just wondering if that's part of Carlos thinking there, that he doesn't mm. want to damage confidence and he doesn't want to damage somebody's uh, transfer value. Mm. I think these Gav, uh, Pren, Gav sorry, <laughs> calling, calling you Preno then, you're, you're the same person too. <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a compliment, Ad. that's not okay, I can live with that. <laughs> but Bees, I think Gav makes a good point about the summer then, and you know, there is a, a decision still to be made over Robin Olsen in particular, and I think, you know, this, yeah. this kind of sums up that there was, you know, he's never going to be perfect in that position, and it's still worth noting that he did make a really important save at the weekend as well, you know, when Marcus Rashford was running through, you know, made himself big and, you know, I think, did he keep it Did he keep it a 2-2 at the time, I think it was, was it just before they'd scored, scored yeah. their third goal, so, you know, that that was a crucial point in the game that Robin Olsen has managed to, you know, stand tall and keep the, keep the score level at the time, so, you know, it's there's still 
there's still promising signs there, isn't there? Yeah, it, it's strange in that, like you said, that perhaps neither of them has done enough to start, you know, to be clear, number one. But I think, you know, ultimately they're, t- they're two international class goalkeepers have both been capped, you know, many times by their respective countries and um, two very good options. And it's it's just that, like we said, they, they've not got the full package either of them. I, I think that you'd, you'd imagine that Pickford's just going through a bit of a sticky spell and maybe he will ultimately, you know, come out on top, whether or not, I mean, Gav might be right, maybe maybe he does see at the end of the season, um, he doesn't fancy him, but uh, it, it, he's the player who Everton paid a lot of money for. You know, he'd be, he didn't miss a game for three years until this this season. You know, his, his club form had got him in the England side and he'd done heroics at, at the World Cup. It's only just this last, I guess, 18 months, two years, hasn't he sort of, he's been unable to sort of maintain that form. And, it, you know, it is a very difficult position. England, number one, of all the scrutiny that comes with that. You've got to wonder how much Jordan's brought that on himself in that, you know, he did the antics at... He's done, but I think we've seen other England number ones in the recent past. Joe Hart, Paul Robinson, um, Green, a lot of them, they know they, they struggle to sort of maintain that that position and they all ended up, I think, probably losing their position to even club level at some point. So you've got to wonder about that, the, the psychological baggage that comes with being England number one. But it's interesting, obviously, that his mistakes have come. Obviously, he plays more often for Everton, but they've come at club level where he hasn't really put much of a foot wrong for for England, but obviously he's scrutinised by what happens with the, at the club level. I think because he is the the incumbent number one and the, the Everton player, the England number one. Ultimately, I would still fancy his chances for for coming out of this as first choice. But yeah, I think they're, they're two strong options. But like we said, they're both not far from perfect, so they, it's difficult to choose. You'd never feel that either of them would let you down, and there's been times maybe you know when. Um, since Neville Southall retired, where Everton, it's been a, you know a real problem position at times for Everton, and um, you've not always had um, two decent options at the club. Um, you, you, you've had managers. I remember Walter Smith was chopping and changing because he had to, because neither of his options really were convincing. It, it's, it's the two decent options, but you just got to you think that, that Pickford has got ultimately the, the greater class in there, and you'd you'd hope for both his sake and Everton's sake, that, you know, he, he can sort of shake out of it and get back to his best. Hmm. Quickly, Preno, before we talk about Spurs, I think it would be remiss of us to not talk about the man who got that dramatic late equaliser, of course, Dominic yeah. Calvert-Lewin. Two and two for him now. And in both games, he missed a big chance before he actually got the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, how much do you think that says about his character? That, that to me, is one of the most important qualities that a top striker can have. Um, you've got to be afraid to miss. You know, you've got to be willing to put yourself in there if you've just missed a great chance and back yourself to do it again. And you see the great strikers do it over and over again. Uh, it's almost like uh, like instinct almost. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. They're just like, you know, so running on autopilot. And, um, you know, it, it's so, so important. And so, yeah, it was... It was an instinctive finish. It was, you know, it wasn't one he had to think about. The one in the first half was, you know, he'd gone through clean on goal, and he should have done a lot better, to be honest. And there was one the previous game at Leeds, which was a similar situation, maybe a little bit more difficult, where he had a left-footed opportunity on the edge of the box, and he, he didn't hit it correctly. 
and he had time to think about it. He's at his best when it's instinctive, you know, when he's lunging into the six-yard box and, you know, he's getting on the end of things. And that was a proper striker's goal. I mean, De Gea, he was intimidated, you know, so he saw the possibility of a challenge where he could get injured and he, he chose not to clean the centre-forward out as maybe other goalkeepers might have done. Dominic didn't, you know, so he went in there all guns blazing and, you know, so thoroughly deserved it. So it was great. And yeah, it, it, it's heartening. He's had an absolutely wonderful season. Uh, I won't describe it as a breakthrough season because maybe that, that that came last time. But this is the season that's absolutely confirmed him as a top quality talent. You know, an England international, you know, so an England international who's actually scored goals for his country already and will score even more in the future. And you saw all those mad stats that were like trotted out over the weekend. He's um, got more headed goals now uh, since the start of last season than anybody apart from Robert Lewandowski in the five top leagues in Europe. I mean, that's incredible company, that. He's got more goals in the Premier League without penalties taken into the occasion than anybody uh, because, you know, so Mo Salah, Harry Kane, Jamie Vardy have all you know, topped theirs up with penalties. And personally, I'd be sitting down with him and saying, look, you're on penalties now. I mean, the one he's taken for England was absolutely top class, you know, top corner. If you can take penalties for your country, uh, with no nerves, you can take them for your club, no problem at all. And I just think that sometimes that's a way of overcoming as well. These little droughts that centre forwards sometimes have. We've said before that he seems to be a uh, a bunch goal scorer where he'll score little bunches of goals, you know, six and seven and nine and ten games, and then go for a drought. And a lot of good, lot of goal scorers, go, you know, go through these spells. You know, it, it's not an uncommon thing, but sometimes that can be blurred a little if you can take penalties too. You, know, you tend not to get quite as many. Although the number of penalties we get this season maybe would uh, de- you know, decry that argument, but no, it looks like he's uh, you know he's back on in the saddle again. He's scored in successive games now, and hopefully this is the start of another run of a uh, you know bunch of goal scoring, continuing on uh, on Wednesday and Sunday and next Wednesday. Uh, but bottom line is, yeah, he's been an absolutely outstanding season. Uh, top class talent, and you know, so I, I love watching him play. He's a proper Everton centre forward. I, you know, I, I love seeing him with an Everton number nine on his back. Mm. Well, let's turn our attention to Wednesday then, Gav. FA Cup, Spurs visiting Goodison Park. How much importance do you put on this fixture? So he's just about to say full house there, I'd just for uh, <laughs> just to leave me on a little bit, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I, we're not going to get into the which is better Champions League qualification or the FA Cup, are we? Uh, well, of course, well. we, we can do both. We can do both. Um, can't we? Uh, good one, this. Uh, I think at the moment, I mean, because you're playing twice a week, you've got to give every game equal importance, haven't you, really? Um, and I I would say that it's vitally important to us because I think any chance of silverware still within the FA Cup, because we're playing twice a week anyway, another couple of FA Cup games you now in the end of the season isn't going to like make, make a major thing difference to the fixture list or cause congestion, is it? Um, so it, it, you can't say it's going to get in the way of our you know, efforts to get in the top four. So, yeah, I'd put amazing points on it. I'm good to keep the runs going as well. Yeah, yeah eminently winnable game. Mourinho, I'm a bit torn about how Spurs are going to play it on Wednesday, actually, because Mourinho, ever since he's been here, has shown that he places great importance on domestic trophies. His first one was the League Cup, wasn't it, with Chelsea? Mm. Obviously, won the FA Cup, Man United. So, 
he is a, as well as winning league, he's, he's always done well in cups, both in uh, domestically and, and in Europe, of course. So um, that, that's the that's the Spurs coming here strong. Or the other option is whether they're looking at the Champions League. They're already, you know, um, I think still in your party. Um, mm-hmm. Whether 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 where that sits on their list of priorities, the FA Cup this year. Will you see a weakened Spurs team? Maybe maybe it's more important fixing to us. So I don't know how it'll how it'll play out. But obviously he's been getting stick anyway, Mourinho, hasn't he? You know, so whether he, will that add to his if they get beat on by us, does that add to the pressure on him? So mm. I think it's more to me, it's more I'm more interested about space. How <laughs> they're gonna play it than how we're because I'm pretty much sure how we're gonna play it. It's just I'm just there's that many angles to them how what sort of team they set up and what sort of uh, mindset they'll have. So that that is a fascinating sort of uh, undercurrent for me for Wednesday. But after all that, I still think we'll win. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, with the way the season's been going, mm-hmm. you would almost rather be playing this away from home rather than a Goodison. Yeah, well, you're right in that. You know, they they have um, they've picked up more points uh, away from home. I mean, we've talked about yeah the home comforts of having this big cup tie at, at home and then Fulham at home, the game they always win under normal circumstances. But yeah, it's definitely a factor. I mentioned it earlier about the the Six Nations there with Scotland winning at England at the weekend, not to take anything away from them. I'm not going to go down um, an egg-chasing um, rabbit hole or anything like that. But yeah, it's a factor. And Ancelotti's mentioned it himself. You know, it, he, I think he used the phrase that, you know, away teams don't suffer when they go to the, these venues. And you can imagine, yeah, if it had been, you know, under the lights, Goodison, fifth round FA Cup tie, you know, just shy of 40 thousand there it would have been totally different sort of game so yeah it does sort of neutralize um that effect but get it it's 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 a massive opportunity for Everton as Gav said we don't know how Tottenham are going to treat it on their list of priorities but certainly from an from an Everton point of view you know that this is an opportunity to to go deep and to you know really chance for a silver it would just be such a crying shame if they were to do it if they were to get to the cup final and there's certainly not going to be a full house uh, then may if they're fortunate be limited number of supporters, I guess, by that time. But certainly, you know, it's not going to be a, a full house. But after 26 years, you'd still take it. Crano, mm. I mean, we've we've all seen spares over the last few weeks, and I think the criticism that's been aimed at Mourinho has been that you know he's been playing a bit too conservatively, too defensive, mm. not going at teams enough. I kind of that that will be worrying to Everton fans, won't it? Really, because that's the kind of they're the kind of teams that have been mm. taken off Everton in recent weeks, you know, let's say West Ham on New Year's yeah. Day, for example, they played in a very similar manner and they managed to get a 1-0 win. So how do Everton try and combat that this, this time around? That, that, that is a worry, as also is the fact that, uh, you know, a certain individuals back in the Tottenham squad again. I mean, who was it? Uh, was it Pep Guardiola labelled Tottenham as the Harry Kane team uh, because they are just a completely different team, you know, so with him in the... And it was like a double-edged sword at the weekend. It was a bit of a blow to see him back in the starting lineup and back scoring goals again. But equally, will he be able to play another match just three days later, you know, so soon after having come back from a re- reasonably you know, long-term injury? Maybe not. The other positive is the fact that Tottenham won, uh, because if they'd have not beaten West Brom, the pressure on Jose Mourinho would have been immense. And you think that he would have been inclined to, you know, really prioritise this FA Cup tie because he couldn't afford, you know, it's another one. 
Uh, as Gav says, yes, he will still take it very, very seriously. But I'm, I'm guessing and I'm hoping that Harry Kane won't start. I mean, Son played the full 90 minutes as well. So I'm guessing and hoping that maybe he'll be pulled out of the equation. Uh, but they've got quality. I mean, Eric Lavella was back at the weekend as well for the first time in a while. And you know, he adds a lot of quality to their squad as well. So it's going to be tough, no doubt whatsoever about it. And uh, we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to perform with intensity. And yeah, we're going to have to do something that maybe we haven't done um, in in recent games. And that's, you know, pick apart a team that's happy to sit tight and sit deep and maybe try and hit us on the break. So it's going to be one of those like uh, quite, Tease, you know, quite quite testing tactical games, which is strange for an FA Cup fifth round tie. You normally expect it to be blood and thunder and a great atmosphere and a great noise, and you know, so the the atmosphere carrying us through. As it is, it's not going to be like that at all. So it's massively important, though, and you know, so really looking forward to it. And I just hope that we can, you know, finally get things right at Goodison Park, and you know, so I'm not, I'm not flatter and finally get a result without a late night, without extra time, without penalties. <laughs> right. Before we wrap up, it's time to get some predictions on the board. I don't think anybody predicted 3-3 at the weekend. <laughs> Surprisingly <laughs> enough. Go out on a limb and say, even though I wasn't on that podcast, I don't think anybody predicted a 3-3. <laughs> but uh, Gav, we'll come to you first. Everton v Spurs, FA Cup. Are you, are you about well, to give me a start? Well, I know somebody did predict a 3-3 because somebody used to work with that. Then we saw me tweet on Saturday. I, I unforgivingly missed Carvalho's equaliser because... I went to the toilet in a huff after 94 minutes and we still up there when, uh, when he scored, you know. And, and when, it, when I tweeted it, somebody I used to work with replied to him. He said his wife had their three quid on payoff at 60 to 1. Wow. Very, very nice. Which is, uh, which is, uh, which is okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm guarded by her for my Wednesday night <laughs> prediction. I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm the one contracted retro um, um, thing of, of the podcast. I'm going to go back to 1983, FA Cup, fifth round, Goodison Park, Spurs, FA Cup holders, come to Goodison, Everton to Spurs now. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that as my, my uh, prediction. For absolutely no other reason of current form or anything, just because we beat them 2 0 at Goodison in 1983. That's what I'm going for. Very nice. Big fan of that. Bees, yeah. you predicting yeah. it ever? Yeah, I'll, I'll be positive. Um, Tottenham have been a team that um, Everton didn't really get a lot of change out of in recent years. But to be fair, they went and won there 1-0 on the opening day of the season. Not too sure whether it'll be another clean sheet, but I think it'll be tight again. So I'm going to go Everton 2, Tottenham 1. Very nice. Preno? I, I should really confer with my daughter here because, you know, Gav's talking about, uh, you know, so the women in his life who know what they're talking about. I'm not joking. Saturday night, uh, my daughter Scarlett uh, losing two 0 and she thought it was a good idea to put a fiver on Everton to win. Uh, so Everton equalised two two. Skybet were offering a fifty quid cash out. I think she could have won three hundred and twenty five quid if uh, Everton had won. So she cashed out. So nice. flush with that, flush with that knowledge. Ninety <laughs> third minute, Everton losing three two. She puts a pound on Everton to draw and got twenty to one. <laughs> Who does that? Who does? So, you know, she absolutely cleans up, and you know, she's she's absurdly optimistic all the time, more so even than Sam is when he's on these podcasts. And, <laughs> she'd be going for three nil, three one. So I'm going to have a little slice of that. I'm, I'm going to go for you know, so real blind optimism, and go for ever since a win three one based on nothing other than that's what Scarlett would say. 
Wow. <laughs> I, I think we've got the wrong people on the, sorry, I think we've got the wrong people on the podcast here, haven't you really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> For predictions, you know. Make it make it an actual contest. I wouldn't be running. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but uh, I think personally I think I can see this being a really, really tight game. I just think Mourinho is gonna whatever team he picks, I think he's just gonna try and shut up shop. I think Everton will still win. I think it'll be a one nil, but I'm not ruling it out, ruling out extra time. I think it, yes. could, it could easily, it could easily be nil nil, go to extra time, and we need, we need somebody to be the savior, yeah. uh, extra time. But fingers crossed, it doesn't do that because it's going to be <laughs> minus three on Wednesday <laughs> by the time by the time it hits eleven o'clock. <laughs> so I am going to be absolutely freezing. But as ever, thank you very much for joining me, lads, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back a bit later in the week to discuss, hopefully, an Everton win over Spurs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be looking ahead to an important Premier League game against Fulham at the weekend as well. Don't forget, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can join in the conversation on Twitter and Facebook as well. Just search for the Royal Blue Podcast on those platforms as well. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.